0: great to have you here on the Clark Howard show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com and we got to have a talk I've noticed out and about in the neighborhood where I go out uh weather permitting I go out for an hour and a half walk every day I've noticed so many people with new puppies. I don't know how new puppies have materialized in the massive numbers that suddenly I'm seeing. But there's even a term for it in the pet business right now. And they're called pandemic puppies. Americans um, feeling more lonely. A lot of people lived in part, live in parts of the country where there have been tight quarantines and all the rest have been tempted to get a pet, to get a, a new puppy because of the companionship that they offer and, and they can be absolutely great. But if you do get one, know that the first place that any real pet lover would ask you to look is to look at one that is available with the rescue. Because not only will it save you a substantial amount of money, but it also finds a loving home for a pet that somebody got and, well, later turned out not to be such a good idea in their lives. And it is true that once you get a pet, you're going to pay some uh, significant money in vet bills. I mean, I feel like with our pets over the years we put a few veterinarians kids through college at this point because it can get pretty expensive with what's involved in taking care of a pet so even if you get one uh, for free or nearly so from a rescue or a humane society or something like that know that from that point they're not as expensive as human children but your puppy child will be a much more expensive addition to your house than you realize. Gary is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hi, Gary. Hi, Clark. Uh,
1: Longtime listener. Glad to finally talk with you. Well, great to have you here, Gary. So I have a deceptively simple question that should be pretty basic for most adults. However, nobody's ever actually taught me about this. And mind you, I'm a little bit older than when this first happened, but now, you know, I'd like to maybe get some closure. So the situation, wrap your ears around this one, is when I was younger, I was trying to establish my credit. I got a couple um high interest credit cards with a very low limit, something around you know, three to four hundred dollars each. And you know, fifteen years later I still have them and they're still reporting and I've never missed a payment. Um and I'm wondering when is it appropriate to cancel those cards the givens are that i have other cards that have 30 40 50k on them and i'm doing fine financially now you mean
0: you mean in charges on them or you mean credit limit credit limit sir oh you were scaring me there Ah, no! The way you said no, that, I had thirty thousand note on this one and fifty on that one and forty on that. Okay, so good, oh, good, good, good. That's okay good. Okay, buy a house with that, right? Right. So the cards you have, these two that helped you build credit, do either of them have an annual fee? They both do. One is about sixty a year, and
1: the other one's about thirty six dollars a year, which I pay monthly just so there's a transaction.
0: Okay, dump them. Roger that. And so you can when you call to dump them. They may in turn offer you a no annual fee card. And if okay. they don't, and I don't want just no annual fee for one year. I mean they'd give you no annual fee it, right. you know going forward. And if they don't want to do that, just close it. If you've got the amount of credit limit you have and you've got the history and all that, you're fine to dump these starter cards with micro limits.
1: So for the for the general population out there what is the right rule of thumb to know when it's time to dump them?
0: Well, the annual fee is the key to your question. If these had no annual fee, I'd say just leave them be. But because they have an annual fee, they need to skedaddle out of your life. Good That's stuff. thank you. It's really the dividing line. And and the other key information you gave me is cuz you've got all these other cards, you got these really big limits available on those. So you're, it's irrelevant in your credit mix and in the amount of credit you're using that you have these two older, very small limit cards, and that's why you can throw them overboard and not worry about it. Kathy's with us on the Clark Howard Show, and Kathy, you have a son who's quite an academic scholar, I gather.
2: Well, he did very well as his first semester.
0: That's awesome. Not something yeah, anybody ever said about me in school.
2: <laughs> I was very proud of him.
0: Great. Well, how can I be of help with your freshman?
2: Well, so I'm getting all of these um, invitations to different sorts of, I guess, honor societies, and they all seem to be these one-time fees of somewhere, you know, sixty, seventy-five, ninety-five dollars, and. Um, Gives you access to some scholarships and various other... (laughs) That's what I wondered.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we got some big pile of smelly manure here. All right. So it, it is a problem that I hear most often in high school. Very rare that I hear it involving a college student. But it is a common problem that someone who's been achieving very well academically will start receiving these mailings saying congratulations you're such a fantastic scholar that we have chosen you to be part of this society or that one or the other one and all you need to do is pay x number of dollars a real academic honors organization would not be right there talking about what you have to pay okay and saying that, yeah, you want to pay this because we've got the inside track to all these scholarships and all that. That's just taking advantage of the burden that people face from the cost of college these days, that it makes you more vulnerable to somebody giving that pitch.
2: Well, you're a wonderful resource, and I'm really glad that I reached out and asked and that um, I was able to get that answer.
0: And by the way, there are legitimate honors that if your son continues his academic excellence that will that will happen but they're not going to be those that say congratulations we've selected you to pay us money okay (laughs) that's kind of a good dividing line all right well that's good to know and continued success to him academically in school that's great that you have a real achiever on your hands doug is with us on the clark howard show hello doug how you doing I'm doing great, Clark. I hope you are. I am? You are interested in buying a new vehicle.
3: That's correct. Yes, sir. This is for our business.
0: So is it new? So, is it going to be a new work truck or work vehicle, or are you going to buy a yes. used one? What are you thinking?
3: Well, probably looking at a certified pre-owned. I'd like to get one that's maybe a year or two old based off of your advice. It will be a full-size truck we use for our business. And the last time I purchased one, I let the dealership help me with the funding. Uh, But I know you talk about credit unions being a good solution for personal vehicle purchases. I wanted to see what your recommendation would be as a business
0: owner. So, well, we got a lot to discuss. So let's deal with the last thing you said first. And I want to go back to the first thing you said So when you are looking at getting financing for that truck, depending on the credit union, they either do or do not do business with small businesses. So if you're with a credit union already, do you have one already that you do any? I do not. You are not? I am not. So you can approach... Uh, credit unions near you and see if they do small business lending and okay. there's a cap on how much of that they can do it's different than like with consumers but if they do it then what you would be able to finance that truck for would be a whole lot cheaper typically than what you could do elsewhere at a bank or at the dealer
4: okay. so
0: the credit unions tend to write Uh, vehicle loans at about a point and a half below what a bank does and as much as four percentage points below what a car dealer would.
3: That's pretty amazing.
0: So that's why it's worth it ahead of time to see if in fact a credit union near you will write a business vehicle loan. Now on the thing about buying let's say a year or two old certified pre-owned it is not always cheaper to buy a year or two old vehicle. And okay. it is worth it for you to comparison shop what it would cost for a new work truck versus buying a used one. I'm not into CPO, certified pre-owned, okay, because those programs are not always what they're cracked up to be. What I'm much more interested in when you compare a one- or two-year-old truck to a new one is having it checked out by a mechanic of your choosing, which okay. is much more significant and important than whatever uh, certified pre-owned program they say, and they hand you the fancy brochure, and it'll have maybe a <laughs> colorful sticker on the vehicle. But often, those are just marketing programs, and there's not real meat behind them.
3: Okay. So Well I appreciate I appreciate that. If uh, if the credit union um, if I don't have a local one that does commercial lending, what would be my next choice?
0: So then it would be to your advantage to go to the bank that you do business with for your business yes, sir. And, and see what they'll write a truck loan for you at.
3: Okay. And I've started that process. So um, that's that's what I wanted to find out and I really do appreciate you taking the time and, and all the information that you give each
0: one of us and best to you shopping i should ask you when you look for prices on new trucks are you a member of sam's club or costco wholesale yes sir which one are you a member of sam's all right so sam's has a vehicle buying program that if you just sign into your account on Sam'sClub.com, you'll Mm -hmm. be able to see what price you can buy the truck you're looking for um right through sam's website
3: okay i will look into that for sure
0: and see what kind of deal you're offered there because that would be uh, potentially a great way if you get a good deal on the truck whatever deal you can get shopping it online up front gets you much closer to the best deal luke is with us on the clark howard show hi luke
2: Hey, clark super cool to be talking with you today and i had a question about something you said on a segment of a podcast episode. Um, you had mentioned that today somebody may be able to build an energy efficient house for near or at the same price that you could build a traditional house. And I'm looking to buy um, or maybe build in the next six months or so. And, um, you know, up till this point, I was pretty set that, well, i just you know, it's probably a little bit easier to go ahead and, and uh, buy. But if I could find something that was super energy efficient, that I could, you know, talk to my builder about implementing into a house that I'm building for close to the same price as a traditional home, then that might go ahead and push me closer to um, building instead of buying. So I was going to ask uh, where you got that that information from.
0: Well, I have it from actually being involved for years as a volunteer with Habitat for Humanity. And Mm -hmm. one of the Habitat affiliates that I sponsor homes with entered a uh, arrangement with a energy nonprofit that came in and went through every phase of how they build the Habitat homes and redesigned for Habitat every phase, major phase of construction. And they were able to take the utility bills that a new Habitat homeowner had and cut them to not zero, but extremely low, even in the hottest of summer and coldest of winter, just by making small changes in how construction is done and less than 1% additional cost in building a home. I mean, it's fantastic how little money it takes just doing building techniques differently and... There are dozens of organizations and many websites that devote a lot of energy and time into figuring this out and then publishing the information. Like if you just Google near net zero home Mm as a term or net zero, which actually does cost more to build truly net zero. But if you do near net zero homes... And you read the, the things that are involved, like in the framing process, and then when the windows are installed, and when the, when the trusses are put on, the steps that are needed, it, it's really, you, you read this stuff and you're like, this really doesn't cost anything. It just requires rethinking the way we've done things.
2: Right, and that's exactly the direction I'd like to go. Um, I was reading on a website, there's also um, net zero ready homes where you can build them to spec to eventually add additionally energy efficient components like maybe some solar roofing or or whatever. And, you know, something that the producer Joel says on his podcast, how to money a lot is, uh, you know, work smarter, not harder, right? And so if I can build something at this point in time for a little Maybe a little bit more, but it's going to save me a lot of money down the road, and that's what I want to go towards. And
0: And I think this is great that you're thinking this way, but you have to find a builder who thinks this way as well because it's a tradition-bound industry, and it's hard to get people to think this way. But if you can find somebody who does, you'll be happy, and they'll be happy. Welcome to the Clark Howard show where it's all about you and stretching every single dollar you got in that wallet. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com and I wanted to tell you something really great. The ability now for an individual with really very little money at all to invest like a person with a zillion bucks is by far the easiest and best it's ever been. We are in a golden age for you to be able to invest for financial security and your future, whether it's for retirement or some other purpose or goal, because the cost of buying into investments today is by far the cheapest it's ever been. And even if you take the average of what's going on in the marketplace, we're now at an average cost of investing of under one-half of 1% per year of the money you put in. But gosh, you don't have to spend anything like that. Do you know Vanguard, the average fund you go into in Vanguard now costs less than one-tenth of 1% of your money per year for fees and then Fidelity has gone a step further and they even have the Fidelity zero funds where you pay no commissions and no fees. Fidelity does this as a way of attracting new customers and they've attracted a ton because of it and so it's really really easy for you to get started. Now with the Fidelity thing no minimum So let's say you are a micro investor, you're new at investing, you're just starting to build money for your future. You can go in and open an account and put it in one of the Fidelity Zero funds and add to it as you can. And if you're a worker, I want you to start with a Roth IRA, no cost to have the account, you build up your funds. I mean, overall, when you look at the big investment houses vanguard overall is the cheapest but if you're specifically targeting getting the absolute lowest cost possible and you're comfortable with the few funds that are part of Fidelity Zero you can go to Fidelity and do this and what's so ironic about this is we have the cost of investing with no commissions and these ultra-low management fees, I mean, just basically uh, you need a microscope to see them taking over the market, and then at the same time, we still have these bank-owned, full commission stock brokerages that charge massive, massive fees for you to invest in them, and then they're still not doing what's known as fiduciary duty, where they're still putting you in garbage stuff that makes them more money without any concern or worry about what's best for you. Billy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi Billy. Hi Clark, how are you today? Great, thank you. So Billy, you are in a type of loan that nobody ever asked <laughs> me about anymore. What
5: do you have? I have a 2-year, well I have a 30-year adjustable rate mortgage loan that adjusts every 2 years. An ARM So I
0: bet you that we have a current wave of first-time home buyers who don't even know the expression ARM, and 20 years ago, arms were huge. (laughs) Right. So what kind of rate do you have on your two-year adjustable arm?
5: Well, I've been fortunate because every year just about that is adjusted because the crash in 2007 happened. So each year when it adjusted, it went down. So I'm at 3.125 currently. So you look brilliant. You don't, <laughs> you don't look just smart. You look brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you. But I know the day is coming when they're going to start getting it back on. Me. We don't so. know.
0: We don't know. You know, particularly if we get into a full-blown trade war with China, you're going to see rates go down even more. Okay. So it's, interest rates are always difficult to predict. But, you know, yeah. rates have stayed lower for longer than, I think, if you asked 100 economists, if they were honest in answering you, all 100 would tell you that how long rates have been low and how low they've been has been something they never predicted or saw. Okay. So, so the mine's
5: due to adjust in three months. So, I was wondering, you know, if I needed to start panicking and trying to get into a fixed rate mortgage now or just wait for three more months and see what it does
0: i think you're fine to wait and i'm curious about something how long have you been in this adjustable
5: it's, it'll be 12 years in about three months so all right pay 12 years on a 30-year mortgage
0: and have you been required to pay down principal through those 12 years or is your balance still what it was 12 years ago oh no it's uh it's coming the principal's coming down nicely Okay, so you have an option as you go to look at refiing of doing a 15-year loan. Okay. Which where where the 15-year loans are now, you may be able to do a 15-year fixed refi in the general vicinity or somewhat close to where you are right now. Okay. Okay. And that That's way, what I
5: was looking for, yeah.
0: That way uh, you have the certainty of about how the loan would pay off over the next 15 years and have a rate that's in the general neighborhood.
5: Okay, without getting my head knocked off.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you may okay. find this next adjustment, uh, you may even go down some from your 3.125, certainly not up any appreciable amount.
5: Okay. So I should not panic? I should hang on? And oh,
0: yeah, yo, you can always panic if you want. But I would say <laughs> that if the 15 years, as you get your adjustment notice, if 15 years are truly within shouting distance, go ahead and mm-hmm. do that. Okay. Or that if correct. the payments are no sweat for you, are the payments pretty manageable at this point? Yes, sir, they are. All right, I'm going to give you a crazy idea. Okay. Okay, See, so you're going to think I'm totally loco when I say this. <laughs> Um, a number of credit unions do a 10-year mortgage, okay. and the 10-year mortgages tend to carry extremely low rates, and likely would be maybe potentially lower than what you have on your adjustable. Okay. The payment on a 10-year, since you have 18 left, a 10-year may be cost prohibitive, Right. but it would be worth looking at that also as a potential. Are you a member of any credit union?
5: I am, and and my uh, home loan is through my
0: credit union as well. Well, great. So you could certainly talk to them, see what their 15-year refi is they would offer you, and see if they're one of the credit unions that is aggressive with the 10-year, because their interest rate risk is so teensy-tiny on those 10-year loans. Mary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mary.
4: Hey, Clark. How are you?
0: Great. Thank you, Mary. How can I serve you today?
4: So, well, Clark, my question is with regard to my retirement savings through my employer. So, right now, I have my contributions going into a traditional 401k, but last year, my company began offering a Roth 401k option as well. And my question is, should I cease contributions to the traditional and move those contributions to the Roth, or should there be a balance between the two, or is there any benefit to having both? And for a little bit of context, I already have a Roth IRA.
0: Who motivated you to do all this saving? I'm so impressed. You did, Clark. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm sure you had influences elsewhere, too. But I'm so impressed that you are so focused on living on less than what you make and saving money. So unless you are a giant income earner, you mm-hmm. want to do the Roth 401k okay. it, exclusively. You don't even want to split it. Can you okay. give me general ballpark, kind of what kind of area of income you have per year? Yeah, about 60000 Definitely do the Roth 401k. No gray. Okay. Because your tax okay. bracket is such that your tax bracket is almost certainly lower now than it will be later in your life. And so mm-hmm. you don't want to have the upfront benefit of putting in pre-tax dollars creating a tax time bomb later. And does your employer match any of your money?
1: Yes, they do, up to 5%.
0: Okay, so the match goes into pre-tax. So you'll still be doing pre-tax and post-tax. And the money you've already contributed that's in traditional 401k stays there. It's only contributions going forward that are in the post-tax Roth 401k. So I'd go all in with that
1: okay sounds good i will thank you
0: and so i'm just so curious what age do you hope to bag work with you being so dedicated to saving already for your future
4: well right now i'm thinking about 60 years old um but if i can wrangle it sooner i certainly will (laughs) all
0: right well you're creating the possibilities by what you're doing and i hope you've inspired other people as well best to you i hope
1: so too well thank you clark you
0: as well Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Chris.
5: Nice to be with you, Clark. I appreciate your help today.
0: Well, great to have you here, Chris. You have um, more than one place you live. Is that right?
5: Yeah. Yes, I have a situation where I work at a remote location three days a week, and it's about an hour and 20 minutes from home. So we do have a second location, and it's kind of in a remote area, so I don't have a lot of options as far as Internet. And what I was wondering, I'm wanting to cut the cord on pay TV and go to an Internet-based television system. My question is, since I'll have two different Wi-Fi systems, was that going to create a problem if I go to one of the other Internet-based TV providers?
0: No. Uh, It depends on who you're with. I said no. It depends on who you're with because each tells you as part of buying service from them. How many streams you're allowed to have going at once? How right, many family right. members do you have at the main location? Two. <laughs> All right. Well, you're fine then, because uh, yes. Sling okay. has a service, which is the oldest, Sling.com, I guess is the oldest of the right. streaming services, that has one service that allows only one stream at a time, but another that allows three streams at a time.
5: Right. I just didn't know if whether having two different internet providers would put a kink in the process, and apparently it doesn't.
0: No, that makes no difference. So okay. that's okay. not a problem. Like in our family, we use YouTube TV, and uh-huh. my daughter, who lives in California, watches the stream in California while we're watching wherever we are. And there's no problem Excellent. with that. So you said, great. but I wanted to ask you something else. You said two internet services as well. So you have a, you're paying for a monthly internet service where you where you are at the remote work site.
5: Yes, and I don't have many options. It backs right up to a national park, and we don't have many options at all. All right, so then this is the question there. I have
0: for you: Can you get signal? With one of the cell phone players. Oh, yes, yes. So with many of them, you can have unlimited data for streaming and not have to have a separate Internet connection where you're living that you would be able to stream everything you want through your phone. And then there are Uh all these ways you can project what's on your phone onto the TV.
5: Okay, I hadn't thought of
0: that. And that way, at least you avoid the cost of having to have two Internet services. I mean, he wants to pay for having two of those when one is your main residence, the other just your remote spot.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Greg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Greg.
6: Hi, Clark. How are you?
0: Great. Thank you, Greg. Well, you are uh, someone who's going from being in debt to debt zero. Tell me what kind of journey you've been on with that.
6: Well, we're working on it, that's for sure. We are probably about a year away, I think, from being at $0 with just one student loan left. But with that being said, in the meantime, we have worked through some open credit card accounts and paid those off to a $0 balance. Right now, we are using one credit card um, on a fairly regular basis, but paying it off every month. And my question for you is, what do we do with the old accounts that we are not using anymore?
0: Leave them all open because you'll devastate your credit score if you close them.
6: Now, I've heard a couple different things. And I've heard one thing, if you kind of throw the credit card in the stock drawer like like we have and not use it, there is a chance that that line of credit will be closed. Yeah, the Um,
0: lender, the credit card company, or the bank, whoever it's from, will say, hey, you've got too much inactivity. We don't want the risk there. We're going to close your account. So what I've recommended in the past is that twice a year, you pull those out of the sock drawer and use them for very small transactions just so they remain as active status cards and you're much less likely to have the issuer cancel them on you. By the way, there's no difference for your credit if you cancel a card or they cancel a card of yours. The harm is the same either way. Gotcha. So that's okay. why you want to leave them open. But if you, um, you become so disciplined, it sounds like, working off your debt, paying it off, that uh, one additional thing I'd add is just putting on a calendar at a birthday or at christmas or something like that you just do a tiny transaction on them like at a fast food restaurant or uh, maybe a tank of gas or whatever just so that that card stays as active status
6: sure i got you that's essentially what we're doing with our one open card right now is kind of using it for major events how many others do you have Uh, i believe we have four total
0: Okay, so the other three, you know, just be mindful that you just you just say one week, twice a year, you put those in your wallet, you go do that one transaction, you only have to do one, pay that bill when it comes in, bam, put it back away, and you've done what you needed to to keep that as an active card. And we're going to have, this is important what you're doing, we're going to have more cards closed because the amount of uh, bad debt that the banks are facing with credit card portfolios is rising right now, and so they're really becoming nervous about cards sitting out there inactive because somebody will start wheezing with debt, and they'll say, hey, I have that card. I haven't used it in forever. I don't even remember who issued it, but I got it somewhere. I'm going to go charge it up. That's why they're so big about canceling inactive cards. So if you just keep them a little active, You stay out of their crosshairs. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.